Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Friends and welcome to Ace Comicals episode number 55 and we've got a fair bit to get through from the past couple of weeks or at least I have because I've been doing a lot of reading so I'm joined by my usual co-hosts uh, Rahul. Hey guys. And Leon. Hey. And I guess we should just dive straight into it so uh, past couple of weeks let's get the uh, the formalities out of the way where we talk about the other media before we actually get to the juicy bit of the comics so I have been watching Punisher season two because that's a thing and that's out now and I've sort of gotten round to it and I've been making my way through it and I've got like one episode left have either of you two watched Punisher season one no no I'm super behind on the TV Marvel stuff yeah same okay well I I wish when I say super behind I mean I've watched none of it except for Jessica Jones I think oh you should at least watch Daredevil yes I know I'm well aware of this that's that's on my list of shame yes Daredevil 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 um, but uh, speaking of Daredevil, actually, I'll come to that when I get to the pull list because uh, we've got a new Daredevil number one coming on Wednesday, which I'm quite excited about. It's got Mr. Chip Zdarsky's name attached to it. But um, yeah, so uh, Punisher season two, which is actually really, really good. Um, it can like builds on season one like perfectly. I really like where it goes, and I like the story that it's telling, and I like. I like this this version of the Punisher, this kind of like side of him that they're showing through this story where obviously, you know, what what they're trying to do is while providing you, the viewer, like the, you know, like the catharsis and the stress relief that comes with watching action movies and people get blown up and shooting and things like that, you also like in the truly ugly parts of the show where there's like, cause there's some, there is some really hard violence in this show. Um, you actually like, it, it's showing that it's actually, you know, maybe like these thoughts that you've, if you've had these thoughts of like, uh, like when you're angry, I don't know if you two have ever experienced that, but when you're angry, you get thoughts of vengeance and things like that. And you start to feel like, you know, but it, it's good having that on tv and showing you that it's actually quite a bad thing to think like that and that it's a bad path to go down and it's unhealthy and everything else and this is a way of it being out in the world without like i don't know i don't know does that make sense at all yeah it's like um i guess seeing it in all its hd glory you see how sort of uh pathetic and um like isolationist it is as yes. well as obviously very yes. very dark yes and that that that's like the side of the punisher that i i quite like what they're doing where you know yes people believe in him still and what you know he ultimately has a code but he's not really a very nice person <laughs> and that's that's that comes across quite well and i quite and like that He's ultimately not a very happy person generally no. in his stories, right? No. Like, that's the whole thing. He, it's yeah. a spiral of destruction and a spiral of violence, and he yeah. never really gets his, um, like, satisfaction really well, no. from it. Yeah, destruction begets destruction and whatever else. Mm. But he, like, the way they, they do um, Frank Castle is that, like, even after 
even after taking the life of everybody involved in the death of his wife and kids, he's still hollow. He's still got nothing. He still hasn't been like, he's come to the end of his revenge spree and whatever he thought he was going to get out of it, he didn't, you know? And I like, I like that. I like that they're showing that, that they're showing that it's a bad way to go, that it's a bad path to go down, that you shouldn't be like that, that, you know, this stuff has to come to an end. You can't, you know, you can't be that person. Yeah. And how do you unring that bell, right? Exactly. Yeah. How do you unring that bell? And that's, that's, that, that, that's what's great about it. The fact that I can watch it and it's kind of like, it's stress relief watching things blow up and whatever else. And it's stress relief in the same way that listening to Slipknot is stress relief because Slipknot, they have some really choice lyrics and there's some really violent, uh, imagery, uh, within Slipknot's like discography and whatever, but it's just, it's, you know, stress relief. It's like, it's like putting your face in a pillow and shouting really loud, allowing yourself to fall into that world for a little while, but and then also understanding how how bad it actually is to think like that and that it's unhealthy and then that that kind of calms you down ultimately if that makes sense so you've been having a good week then have you greg yeah <laughs> <laughs> as good as anyone glad you glad you've had your catharsis <laughs> yeah no i mean you know that's that's just how 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 i view the punisher and how i think it works and i you know and and the same way that metal works for me punisher works and it's good like that because it's big it's loud it's ridiculous it's ugly in places but it's great and uh, i fully recommend seasons one and seasons two because they are really good especially if you like your, you know things like the raid mm. yeah i mean if you like the raid this is basically the raid but split over 13 episodes so that kind that kind of level of violence basically and that kind of level of action does the level of action like match the quality of something like the raid or the initial Daredevil seasons? Because I've seen like the long take action sequences that are really good in Daredevil season yeah, one. Yeah, easily, easily matches. Same... Easily matches Daredevil in places. Easily, okay. and um, probably not quite the same level as the raid in that way, but it, it easily kind of comes to this the easily shoulder to shoulder with Daredevil. Yeah, because like beyond just the general catharsis of seeing like angry dudes be angry and violent, there is something to like the the spectacle of the cinema of it all, and like seeing motion in action, like motion in action, seeing stuff in action, like really yeah. tightly scripted and tightly paced and tightly planned and like really beautifully shot. That has its own level of catharsis and enjoyment yeah. to it as well. So I mean, yeah, th- yeah. there are. I'm sure there's different levels to to this beyond just the violence. Oh yeah, definitely. That's what I'm trying to get across. That I'm not, mm. I'm not some psychopathic nutcase. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just enjoy violent shows occasionally. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty cool. I um, there's a couple of things still on my list that I've come out over the co- past couple of weeks that I haven't watched yet. Things like Russian Doll and um, Polar, which are still things for me to sort of plough through. Since you mentioned it, Russian Doll is fantastic. It's so good. Like I rarely binge TV shows, but me and Anna we watched that in we watched that in one day, and it's wow. it's eight episodes, and they're only half an hour each, or twenty four minutes, or whatever it is each. Okay. And we just yeah we sat sat down and watched it over the course of four or five hours. It's unbelievable. And I don't want to really say what the premise is. Um, I don't know how much you've heard about it, but. Uh, the lead actress, whose name I forget, but she was uh, a major role in Orange is the New Black. Amy she is Poehler, re- was it? 
No, I think Amy Poehler is the executive producer on this show. But I she just saw her name have... attached to it. I don't know who's who. I'm just. I mean, Amy Poehler is the reason that I <laughs> sat down and watched it. Yeah. But she yeah. doesn't have any involvement in the on the creative side, I believe. But I haven't looked into yeah. it. But she, on yeah. the credit, she's an executive producer, yeah. written by somebody else. The writing is stellar. It's doing something with like, um, a, a genre cliche trope that we've seen before. Like we've seen this sci-fi mechanism in action in the past but it's doing mm. this modern thing where it's it's pulling away from like the me- mechanics of what's going on and like focusing on the humanity and focusing on the emotion and and you know what it what it means to be living through this process and i was just i was wrapped the entire way through it it's really good i i would, i think it's one of the best things i've seen in a while yeah that sounds pretty it sounds pretty cool mm. i've seen a trailer for it and the trailer looks really good I think um, you would dig it. Although, yeah. the thing I would say is the thing we've expressed, I forget what it was in regards to, but I like how you like having your answers. You like having the yeah. the monster shown. Yeah. This might not quite satisfy that craving, but okay. I would urge you to try it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I will try it. It looks good. It's been on my list because of the uh, the trailer. So yeah, And Polar. Polar looks good because it basically just scratches that Metal Gear itch. When you look at the trailer, that's kind of what it looks like it's doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's it's Mads Mikkelsen with an eye patch looking a little bit snaky. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen anything about Polar. I have not, no. I yeah. I was getting a bit confused there because I thought you were talking about Amy Polar. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the, right. the show Polar, yeah. Okay, right. I haven't heard anything about that, but you mentioned Mads Mikkelsen, so I'll check it out. Yeah, yeah. That looks really good. He's like an, an assassin that's trying to retire. Oh, cool! From what I get from the trailer, so yeah, and it, it's uh, it's adapted from a comic, which uh, I should probably read at some point as well. Um, have you checked any of this out yet, Leon? No. Um, Russian Doll is on my list. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I haven't got around to um, checking it out yet. I will do soon, uh, as it's uh, quite short. Yeah, uh, and. Yeah, I always find uh, Natasha, I uh, can't remember if it's pronounced Leon or uh, Lion, but it's L-Y-O-N-N-E. But she's, I've always found her to be quite an interesting actress. She's um, one of my earliest memories of her is her showing up in uh, the American Pie series. Um, but yeah, she she always like picks really interesting projects like the aforementioned Orange is New Black. And she's been in... Um, if I remember correctly, in the 90s, she was in um, like exploitation films. And yeah, she's she's always um, picked quite interesting projects. So um, yeah, when I saw her um, like appear on my banner and I was like, what? Another show? <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this. And then at the same time on Twitter, like uh, film and TV Twitter were like, going on about the show and i was like oh come on man stop releasing good shows network i've got i've got lots of stuff behind like i'll tell you how far i am behind uh, i only just uh finally watched um ha- uh haunting of hill house <laughs> oh man oh sweet okay <laughs> oh wow that's a great show which is the show that I was referring to about Greg, uh, like needing to know the mystery behind the monster kind of thing. What did yeah. you think about it, Leon? What was your, I, lo- like... I loved it. It was, um, I, I guess, because I think I fall more into that camp anyway of 
I'm happy. So when it comes to like, probably a bad example, like, but like with sci-fi and horror, uh, I like my hard sci-fi and I like my like hard, like law based horror. At the same time, I do like when they're used as uh, narrative tools to tell a deeper personal character driven story. Yeah. And that's, that's what this show was. So, um, yeah, I was really receptive to that. And I think, um, I, I think all the actors on it are amazing, uh, young and old. And I think that, um, the set is, is, is quite amazing. The Hill House itself, it, um, yeah. it does pick up on that cliche of being as a character itself, blah, blah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's some really like cool, twisted and, um, like utterly harsh uh, storylines in this show that I really, really like. Um, and yeah, there's just different things there that resonate in different ways because um, yeah, it's a family that has like five kids and like there's different things where I'm the oldest of five kids. So there's lots of um, weird like links and like uh, things that, that resonate in different ways. And obviously there is the um, really good uh, like, writing and direction uh, by uh, Mike Flanagan, who, um, yeah, I mean, everyone on the internet has spoken about them already, but there's certain episodes here where it's some, like, standout, standout work and uh, great use of, like, editing and camera work. But, uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I've seen some misgivings of the, the, the last episode, I can see some of that in terms of how things wrap up. Mm. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm neither here nor de- there with it. Um, I could I could have, could have enjoyed it either way they went. But, um, what we got was perfectly fine. It wasn't my favorite part of the the season, but um, yeah, what what we got was was um, was fine. But uh, I don't need to recommend it because everybody in the world has already. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And we've talked about it on was it the Sabrina special. I think it was, uh, yeah. It? yeah, yeah. So go back and check out the Sabrina special if you want to hear more. If you want to hear us, like, kind of ramble on about it and me be me and moan about not knowing why the house is like that. I mean, I got over it in the end, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> on to uh, the other things that I've been doing. Like, I've been obviously um, reading some comics over the past couple of weeks, which. Yeah, that's the point. Uh, and uh, I read a 3D comic. Yes, it came polybagged with a pair of 3D glasses, the blue and red kind. And uh, <laughs> cool. all of a sudden, I was a 10-year-old kid again. And it was great. Like, I I, I, I missed this when it came out onto the pull list. It was Uncanny X-Men 3D number one, which is a thing that Marvel are doing and are continuing to do. They are, they've reprinted an old issue of Uncanny X-Men which first of all is great because it's one of the like one of the better issues of Uncanny X-Men as well. And uh, second of all, they've reprinted it in 3D. Um, and I may end up picking a couple of other of these 3D comics up as they come out because they're great. I bought two of these. I bought one and kept it polywrapped and one that I could read <laughs> because I'm that kind of person sometimes. You're that uh, kind of comic book nerd. Yeah, it's Uncanny X-Men 268 that they've reprinted. And it's basically um, deals with a little bit of uh, Wolverine's hidden past with Cap and Black Widow. 
which is Wolverine's kind of like first run-ins with them during World War Two. Um, obviously, Black Widow, she's still a child at that point. Uh, but Cap is a soldier and Wolverine is an angry Canadian. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a great comic. It's a great issue. Uh, and I would recommend reading it. Even if you don't get to read it in 3D, please check it out because it's fucking brilliant. But yeah, no. Um, it's uh, Chris Claremont with Jim Lee and Scott Williams. So it's definitely worth a look. Cause it, it, it was Claremont X-Men, by the way. So, you know, can't go wrong. And yeah, uh, it was just good fun to have it in 3D. And I was sitting there reading it in 3D, like with the duvet wrapped around me because it was freezing. And I had Sophie sat next to me on her laptop and she knew I was reading comics. But then like she just sort of looked up and I was sat there in 3D glasses. And I just heard her just sort of start to like kind of laugh. Like, what? Kind of thing. And I just sort of looked around and then she laughs a little bit more at me. And she's like, what? 3d and like yeah it's 3d it comes with 3d glasses and then she had a go with it and had a flick through it with the glasses on and she's like this is really cool they should print all comics like this and i agree i happen to agree and it, it was nice to just have that moment back like when i was a kid and i had a couple of 3d comics it was cool yeah. Did you ever consider being that guy who wears th- the like the 3d anaglyph glasses around all the time i couldn't do that you couldn't do that? You couldn't be yeah. either, like, that guy from Twin Peaks or one of the goons from Back to the Future who's always wearing them? If I had a plastic pair of 3D anaglyph glasses, like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to wear a paper pair all the time, but if you got me a, like, a, a plastic pair that look... You know, like, uh, like the ones that uh, uh, Bebop has in, uh, from TMNT? That, I knew you'd reference TMNT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not anaglyph, but they're 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 plastic, like um, kind of like punk shades, where they're like right. quite narrow rectangles. Yeah. Uh, and they're kind of like a visor type shape thing where they go around his eyes and uh, uh, like uh, over his ears. But like, if you could get me a pair like that, like these punk sunglasses, but anaglyph, that'd be amazing. So I'm I'd just jotting this down: TMNT wraparound anaglyph glasses for Greg's birthday. Cool. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> yeah they will be really cool if you get me a pair of bebop bebop's glasses that'd be awesome yeah i would wear them i would i'm not even joking i wonder if it's possible actually to get you know like um like prescription anaglyph glasses <laughs> i mean i don't see why not they're just um regular lenses with colored tints right yeah blue and uh blue and red so that would be cool prescription <laughs> anaglyph glasses because then i just wouldn't even need to like put the paper ones carefully over my my normal eyeglasses because my eyes don't work you know <laughs> so <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah so i i fully recommend 3d comics and uh, i recommend this this particular issue of uncanny x-men because it's cool um also on the the train of x-men uh there's some hype for grand designs because um a tweet went out by the artist writer of grand designs uh ed pisker um, he put out a tweet with the uh, the cover for the next instalment, which is, is going to be like, uh, I think it's Extinction is the storyline. And I'm hyped for this because I actually have the issue that he based that cover on. Um, and it's uh, it's an issue of 
um, it's like a purple cover with uh, Wolverine on an X-shaped, like like a like he's been crucified, but he's on an X-shape, and like obviously, you know, it's looking all moody, and there's a hawk a hawk flying in front of the sun or the moon, whatever it's meant to be, and it's just such a badass looking cover. And I put a photo, I put a photo of it up on Twitter actually. If you have a look on the Ace Comicals timeline, um, you'll be able to find it where I've replied to Ed um, about the um, about the cover because he was like, you know. I was, telling him that i'm actually excited for it and then i was like additionally i actually have the cover that you've based that on um because i was quite proud of the fact that i own that comic <laughs> but yeah it's uh it, it's looking good and I'm, I'm quite hyped for that so i can't wait to read that how about you guys are you looking forward to this next installment of uh, grand designs yeah definitely considering like i think i mentioned when we talked about the first issue that came out like it was X-Men is something that I've always loved, but always loved in bits. Like, I never really got to watch the cartoon fully. I never really got to read the comics fully. So it is really great to have this, like, unified history put together in one volume. So, yeah, Yeah. totally looking forward to it. Yeah, I I think Pisca is doing a really good job, um, not just condensing, but sort of rebirthing a lot of these stories in in Mm. cool ways. Mm. Yeah. I am all... uh, I'm I'm always, you know, I always loved X-Men um i've always been like as i said i've got particular arcs i've never actually like had a full appreciation of x-men and known the whole thing which is what this this book is doing for me which is great um and i'm actually like now looking on uh ebay at um like dropping some money on some chris claremont omnibuy (laughs) because they exist so you can get like omnibus set of the like entire thing, like in Claremont's entire input basically into the X Men mythos, which would be pretty cool if I could own those. Um, they're not cheap, obviously, but <laughs> you know, it'd be something nice to have in my my uh, big old comic collection. It's just getting getting the money together to actually, you know, or or justifying the amount of money I'd have to spend to get them, basically. <laughs> More like justification, to be honest, because, yeah, not not cheap at all. Do any of you guys have anything like that, any kind of, like, vice, comics-wise, that if you could have it, like, as an omnibus or something, that you would want it like that in a big hardback? I think comics is the thing. Like, if I had the space and the money for like the the big collections of all the things that i want to read whether i'll get to read them in the moment or just like saving them for a rainy day in the future it would be comics i think or yeah. maybe like the if you could get blu-rays for yeah. stuff that would never degrade but also advance as technology advances going forward so imagine yeah. if i bought a vhs back in the 90s yeah and today it turned into a blu-ray and in 10 years time it turns into a magenta ray or whatever the fuck we have at that point i would buy that yeah i would make if it lasted forever and, and it made the transformers noise when it <laughs> i mean no i'd i'd put it on mute but yeah. like if it did tra- if it did transform into whatever was the best version at the time i would buy that oh man That'd be great. Like, it would be like, you know, like when a rocket loses its, um, when you, when they send a shuttle up 
and it's got like the uh, the stage, like a three stage rocket or something. Yeah. Where they send it off and it loses each bit. It'd be like that, like a VHS splits open to reveal a DVD, <laughs> and then that DVD you peel part of it off and it's blue underneath or something. You know, it's like <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then the center fills in, and then you've got like this tiny little disc which is you know four hundred terabytes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> if only plan obsolescence wasn't a thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They're doing it on purpose. We know the numbers. Um, <laughs> Leon, anything like any particular runs of comics or anything like that that you would like really want to own as an omnibus? Like physical? Yeah, yeah. So if you could, if you could have like a big old hardback that collects an entire, an entire work by a certain writer or something like that, what would you want? Mm. See, it's tough in that way because there's not really one thing or one like uh, massive work. Because I, I, I kind of like a lot of collected smaller work, yeah, um, and by like a myriad of different writers and artists. So hmm. it, there's not like one particular thing where it's like yeah. it's not like oh, one like all of us and issues of Batman. Yeah, some magical omnibus because some of the story arcs I don't really care for. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it's it's a tough question. Um, yeah, yeah. I think. Imagine. Sorry, go on. Why? Well, yeah, it's tough because I think um, if it came of the time to like read the thing, um, I'd probably do something stupid actually, and like um, in my magical omnibus, get like a whole run of like. Some shonen manga, all of uh, One Piece. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and just go for it because, like, it would be kind of interesting to have it all in one block and then just dive yeah. in head first. That'd be like one of those. Is it those like enormous dictionaries that you see where it kind of like bends the spine, kind of bends when you open? That's it and it's exactly like... what I was thinking of. I was going to ask yeah. Leon if you could get like a really huge leather bound, like takes up an entire desk version of Why the Last Man. You're telling me you wouldn't want that? Like, it Why the Last did... Man isn't that long? Though. Yeah, like, no, but imagine if it was a massive, oversized, like huge tome. Like you need a, a plinth <laughs> to put it on to be able to read it. Like they have at the, like a lectern, like they have at the front of church. Pages printed in A1. <laughs> Yeah, or like <laughs> lo- lovingly crafted by hand by you know ancient monks, um, gilded on the edges and everything. A problem of that, that uh, is it's annoying to read. Whereas, but, like, but you haven't you have an entire building dedicated to the reading of those kind of books. Yeah, you have it's like still annoying to read. And, uh, and now you've just started a religion. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, at, at least with the the, the shonen manga thing, is that that's not really I don't really gravitate to shonen manga but no. just the novelty of having something like all of one piece in one spot i would go through the, then, the neck damaging thing yeah. of having it all <laughs> on some uh, some altar but mm-hmm. like why the last man i can enjoy that uh, in in like yeah relatively small amounts of volumes sat in a comfortable chair you can imagine <laughs> your, your one piece altar giving you one piece sermons <laughs> but like the, the, the good word of the grand line, <laughs> yeah. But the problem with having something like a, a an like a, a huge like shonen manga thing like that is they'll release a new chapter. No, they won't. And then, and then, and then, then your book it'll be completed. Your book will be, be completed. Yeah, it'll be completed. Then two years later, it's like, oh yeah, this lost chapter of One Piece right here. 
As long as that lost chapter is in the same format as all the rest of the books, it doesn't have like a different spine or it doesn't have a, you know, you know, like when they do DVDs five years later and then they're completely yeah. different to the ones you already own. As long yeah. as they're consistent, whatever, put it as an addendum at the end, put it in the yeah. the annals or whatever, it's fine. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for like these kind of things. So like any, I mean, I've got a couple already, but I'd love like a big, huge hardback edition, like of, um, there's actually the one that I might. There's another one that I'm eyeing up at the moment, which is Grant Morrison's Batman. Like they've got the first volume of it in hardback, and it's enormous. And I kind of, I kind of feel like I want that to add to my collection as well. Like I'm, I'm building a library, but obviously, you know, constraints of money, time, and being a sensible human being he doesn't want to wall himself in with books. So, yeah. well, so you're gonna need like. Um kindling for when uh post-march uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah when uh when brexit like, hits read a page crunch it up for it on the fire when we're living in um the post-apocalypse old man greg <laughs> yeah where crunching up comics on his bed <laughs> i've got pu- pu- pauldrons made out of tires and you know <laughs> like car- clothes made of car parts kind of thing <laughs> sitting by the fire yeah no no that's just horrible Ugh. hopefully it doesn't hopefully it doesn't get that bad hopefully hope the last the last <laughs> yeah. little bit of it that i've got left in the bottom of the uh the bottom of the very small very small bottle yeah i really <laughs> do genuinely hope that it doesn't get so bad that you have to start burning your comic book collection because what are you going to build your house out of otherwise true true well, so those are load-bearing stacks. Like you're exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like um, you know, like uh, in Aladdin, where he goes into the cave of wonder, and it's like touch nothing. If you touch something, the whole thing will collapse. It's like that. Um, it'll be fine. You've got so much comics. You've probably got so loads of lesser ones that you can like read, scrunch up, and burn. That will last you yeah. a couple of months at least. Yeah. So there's some stuff there I could probably do that with. Um. So I think you wanted to talk about Spider-Verse a little bit, didn't you, Ray? I did. I wanted to bring up the fact that it had um, killed it at the Annie Awards. It won seven out of the seven nominations that it was put up for. So it won, if I can quickly run through these, it won for Best Animated Feature. It won for Character Animation in an Animated Feature Production. It won for Character Design in an Animated Feature Production. It won for Directing in an Animated Feature Production. It won for Production Design. It won for Writing. And it won for Editorial. And, like, it's amazing. It won so many things, and deservedly so, up against some really good competition. And I just thought that was worth pointing out. I'm glad it won, because it was an absolute triumph when I went to see it at the cinema. Hmm. It was fantastic. Yeah, like... It, it for me it's so um heartwarming to watch this film uh, thrive and thrive because in ways um at least from a, a a box office standpoint it's just not being in like a prime position really to for for a myriad of reasons to really be getting the box office that it should be getting and i know it's a stupid thing to say about a, a film from a, a multinational corporation, but um, it's just weird to watch it against some other movies from like uh, the last year or so that just were just not as good. But because they're uh, coming from uh, the machine, 
um, and they've got a lot of built-in fans. Um, I feel like a lot of people are going to discover this on Netflix when they really should have been discovering it in the cinema. Mm. So it, it is nice to see uh, the people who um, like know about this stuff actually giving it its due. And, and um, I mean, it's 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 up, up against some like big films from last year, and the fact that award show after award show, critic circle after critic circle, it's uh, it's like um, uh, resonating with people to a degree where it's like winning these big awards. Is just uh, really nice to, to see, and uh, and I hope I know it will do have an effect on its um, lo- longevity. Uh, as I think more people will be like, uh, when it's on Blu-ray, I'll I'll, I'll check it out. Da-da-da-da. People who might have been put off because the animation style is different, or didn't even really hear about it, or mm-hmm. uh, were confused by the the like. This, the story presented in trailers or whatever. Um, I think that it's going to have a really long tail, and as many people have uh, rightly pointed out, it's going to um, influence a lot of um, animations coming after it. Oh, uh, yeah. I think yeah. I think its legacy will there's... will be felt for a co- quite a few years. Yeah, there's going to be like whole generations of kids who grow up to become animators and things. It's going to like yeah. Mm-hmm. A whole generation of kids, even that have been inspired by this fantastic movie, definitely. And I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. Like, what has been inspired by it? We might even get some comics inspired by it. You know, like I mean, the that, look of it. That's that's begun already. I saw um, yeah. Mitch uh, Gerrards. He posted up. Um, I think cover. it was a, yeah, yeah, a cover that he did that For he the Flash. He, yeah. yeah, that mm. he said was inspired by the movie, and it looked really cool. And it looked like Mitch Gerard's style as well. So it, it, like it, it was really cool. So mm. I would love to see like um, it feed back around yeah. uh, and us to get like some, some Spider-Verse inspired yeah. comics. Hey, Marvel sign Mitch Gerard's and get him making Spider-Man books, please. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> so um, you said the magic word, Leon, when we were, when you were talking before about spider verse do, do you know what that magic word was first no you said netflix <laughs> do you know do you know what's on netflix riverdale's on netflix <laughs> i see where you go i see where you go. let's, and, let's keep uh, riding this train <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, do you know what the first comic we're actually going to review today is it's called blossoms blossoms triple six and uh it's uh cheryl dialed up to 11 i think actually <laughs> I mean, Cheryl starts at eleven, so yeah, maybe yeah. Cheryl on Cheryl on six six six. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are biased though. Like you're already in love with Cheryl. Oh, she's great. She's so extra. It's fantastic. <laughs> this is this comic is peak Cheryl Blossom. Peak Cheryl Blossom. Uh, and it is uh, called Blossoms Triple Six. Um, so I'm just going to read the blurb off the back because it never fails to make me laugh. Cheryl and Jason Blossom are a pair of seemingly normal kids in Riverdale. They're wealthy, popular and likeable, but they also harbour a deep, dark secret. One of the Blossom Twins is the Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) Sold. Why haven't I read this yet? (laughs) It's just that line. Just that line alone. Both want the title and no one in Riverdale is safe. So the first thing you've got to know about this book is 
it is dripping in that B movie horror sense B movie horror sense of humour, like teen slasher movie charm. And it's just so of that kind of like pedigree. Like that is its family tree. It's great for that. Um so yeah, we've got these uh these two red headed murder teens, for want of a better word. Um and they've decided they're going to have a party. Um, and I think through this party, they've decided they're going to decide which one of them is the Antichrist. And uh, issue one is just like a really great build-up, setting the scene, setting the tension and things like that. And um, what I also really like that this does in the writing is it kind of normalises the Satanism stuff. So, you know, um, how do I put this? Uh I guess the best way I can th- I can think of to describe this, being a, a Dungeons and Dragons guy, is lawful evil. So, evil to the point where you are just the exact opposite of good, but you still obey the law, you still serve tea and biscuits to people when they come to your house. Kind of like uh, Sabrina's answer in, uh, <laughs> in the Sabrina TV show, uh, the Netflix show. Particularly Zelda. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. But they're like Cheryl's parents in this are are like lawful evil and it's like Satanism's normal for them. And it's just just a normal thing that they do go down into the basement and have dark rituals and shit. Um, (laughs) And it's that's really good because that appeals to my my sense of humor as well. You know, the fact that this is just all totally normal. Um, And. Yeah, it's just like such such a good fun comic and if you like that teen slasher stuff if you're into that genre then this is for you like 100 percent. it's total b-movie like oh my god it's like yeah it's b-movie umami (laughs) yeah b-movie msg it's great now one of the other things that i noticed first things that i noticed about this book as well is the likenesses uh, in the in the character designs that they've taken from the Riverdale TV show, I don't know if you spotted that, did you, Leon? Oh, I'd spot it. It, it coloured how I read the issue. Yeah, exactly. Because like... pretty much everybody had the voices that they have in the show. Yeah. And the thing that's really cool with uh, like Laura Braga's uh, artwork is that they have the likenesses, but they're also still quite original in a way. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. like. Um, it's like at it's certain so- angles, like when faces are yeah. at certain angles, you can see it, but yeah, otherwise, and- no, yeah. Oh, yeah, so what happens is that it ends up not being like a parody or even like the um, the Riverdale comics that are based on the TV show where they look mm. exactly how they look. Yeah. Uh, with this, it has this cool sort of look where it, it it's still uh, like comic booky. Um uh, for lack of a better term. So it has, it's sort of this middle space between the TV show and the comics. And I think yeah. that's a really good choice because yeah. it means that it doesn't just become like the TV show, like spin-off type feel, but instead yeah. it, it gives you something to connect with because the TV show is quite big. Mm. Um, but also it, it allows you to sort of divorce some characteristics from the TV show because um, there's some differences to how these characters act. It's like yeah. in the TV show, everyone's pretty like good to some degree. And I think in this comic, it starts to bring back some of the character dynamics from the, like the comic book. 
yeah like it's 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 in it's of the comic book universe definitely where, yeah i'm flicking yeah. through this right now and it, i feel like it's got this like stylized extrapolated perfection of everybody like as if the actors weren't you know perfect enough in that show but yeah it's got that thing where it's yeah it's like the idealized picturesque version of them like printed onto paper yeah and like laura braga's art it is just absolutely gorgeous it's like this beautifully mm. highlighted art with like a chalky texture and like everything looks like it's lined in charcoal like she's done the lines with like a, a piece of charcoal and it's great and um you've got like this beautiful cartoon bounce to everything which i think Ian was talking about and he's saying that everything's cartoon but 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 at the same time you can actually you know you can see that like yeah this is like the these are this is based on the actors and actresses from the tv show which makes it even better i like um, that uh, i like that uh cheryl's hair kind of lives in a heightened reality from the rest of the comic <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think like matt Herms does really good work there because it yeah. it's so striking it's kind of like in an anime way where like mm. uh like hair color and stuff like dictates sort of or yeah sort of spells out personality traits and, and stuff like that. I, I think it, 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 it works in that way, like paired with like her like signature um, red lipstick. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Like it's it's literally more vibrant than anything else in the comic. Yeah. Like skimming through it. It is, it's on a different like plane of brightness. Yeah. Everything else is really cool. <laughs> but I think that's the point. Yeah. Because yeah. even in, I mean, if you notice, if you've ever watched an episode of Riverdale TV show, like, Cheryl stands out like she's like had LEDs glued to her or something, you know. <laughs> Larger than life. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's just that kind of that kind of that kind of character and it's great. Um and yeah, it's just so much charm in this comic. And the, the the horror element is great. If you like your teen slasher stuff, it's fantastic. Um so Yeah, I, and I think it doesn't really waste any time. It, 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 yeah. It sort of wears what it's doing on its sleeve. So there's mystery still, but as you said, um, there's like satanic cult stuff quite early on, and yeah, yeah. like it gets to like a dark place um, quite quickly, mm. uh, which um, is really good. And there's a lot of um, uh, iconography that's going to play out, like to do with apples and yeah the way different colours are used and um like like there's like heavy like theming going on and obviously uh the colour red is so important in especially in this issue. It uh it's used in very striking ways um and at very particular striking time. Yeah. So um yeah there's there's a there's a a direction um of intent um from panel to panel, which um, takes what is like essentially like a fluffy sort of what if story, and and just, and makes it quite a, an enjoyable ride where you want to you want to check out the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you're not entirely sure if you want to see how how, how deep it goes, but yeah. you want to dip your toe into the rabbit hole and see what's going on. And the, yeah. as Rahul said earlier, it's like maybe i'm both uh but yeah I'm, I'm happy to see cheryl be doing the most and yeah. she's very much doing the most in this book the uh the, the last page is 
amazing. That's that's yeah, it. yeah. It's a I've, very Greg last page. Yeah, <laughs> I've got two covers um, of this comic. I bought two covers. I bought the um, the first cover, cover A, which is uh, Cheryl and Jason. Cheryl's wearing a red hood. So, I think that's the Laura Braga. Yeah, the Laura Braga cover. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, and I've got the, uh, I've also got the uh, Francesco Francavilla cover. Which, that uh, one's quite cool. Yeah, the I red... like the Robert Hack cover. Oh man, I wish I could get the Robert Hack cover. Robert Hack is the uh, the guy who did the art on the uh, the Sabrina comics. Oh right, yeah. Sabri- the um... thrilling adventures, chilling adventures, chilling adventures. Co- yeah, Sabrina. Yeah, that's that's Robert Hack. Uh, and I really wanted that cover, but I couldn't get it. So I got this this one, the Laura Braga one, and I've got the Francesco Francavilla one, which is red with uh, kind of like a dark red triple six kind of imposed over it. And it's just kind of like Jason and Cheryl's faces. But mm-hmm. they look really kind of like, I don't know, murder teeny. They've got like bags under their eyes and stuff like dark rings around their eyes and things. It's looking pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it is a very cool comic. So I should run through the full list of credits. We've got a story by Cullen Bunn, which was uh, one of my main reasons for picking it up, actually, because this guy can write. Um, art by Laura Braga. Lettering by Jack Morelli. Colouring by Matt Herms. Uh, Editor-in-chief, Victor Gorlick. Uh, creative consultant, Shannon Goldwater. Publisher, John Goldwater. Um and we've got variant covers by Joe Eismer, Francesco Francavilla, Robert Hack, and uh, Vic Malhorta. But um, that Robert Hack cover is gorgeous. And if I could have got my got me one of those, I would have wanted one of those. And I think there's an advert in the back of this for... Um, I'm just going to double check. It just made me laugh when I saw the advert. Oh, no. No, it must have been somewhere else that I saw it. But... Um, it might have been in the back of the latest Vampironica, actually, but they're doing Vampironica versus Jughead, The Hunger. So it's like Vampire Veronica versus Werewolf Jughead, I think. He stole my fanfiction. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good. <laughs> I think that's what they're doing. Um, I will um, double check and confirm that, though, because I'm, I'm sure I saw that advert. I'm sure it wasn't a fever dream. But, uh, yeah, I will double check and confirm that. But, yeah, that was um, Blossom Triple Six, Blossom's Triple Six, number one, which is like the latest instalment of RG Horror. And boy, is it great. Moving on from there, I've got a couple more horror comics that I picked up. Now, these are part of the um, Marvel 80th anniversary uh, celebrations that are happening uh, where they're kind of like releasing... Um, they were releasing old, like they brought back old titles from the history of Marvel comics and uh, they're releasing them with new stories in and such. Um, and uh, the first thing that strikes me about that is the fact, I mean, we talked about this in episode 54 uh, that I, I talked about these two on the uh, poll list. So the thing that strikes me about this, how close 80 is to 100? If you think about that, it's like 20 years and we're going to have seen 100 years of Marvel Comics and it will happen within our lifetime. Like, think about that, guys. I don't want to think about when I'm going to be 53, Greg. Well, well no, but it's, incre- <laughs> it's incredible to think about, isn't it? It is incredible. Like, we're, yeah. we're going to be like, we're going to be old men when we get to celebrate the centennial of Marvel. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, we're well, we're yeah. not even going to be, we're going to be in our 50s, so we're still going to be, you know... 
like we're not going to be that old you know we're not going to be like <laughs> eating through a straw or anything but <laughs> you know it's just think about that it's gonna it's, that's incredible that in within my lifetime i'm gonna get to see 100 years of marvel comics i think that's pretty cool like um and that's something that kind of struck me is like 80 years so there's only another 20 it's like well you know i've lived 20 years and it didn't feel that long so <laughs> you know but it, it i just thought it was kind of cool um, so the first of the two that I'm going to talk about is uh, Journey into Unknown Worlds. So I'm going to start by reading the blurb and credits. So there's a blurb written on the inside of this book, on the inside cover. And it goes as follows. Now I, I got a variant cover of this. Um, it kind of looks like a Japanese movie poster for the first story in the book. Um and uh, it's like a, a kind of like um, a 1970s style painted. Um, it's like a woman in like a hazmat suit, but then the hazmat suit has cracked and her face underneath it has cracked and smashed as well, like glass. And then there's like bones and things coming through. And then you've got the earth behind it. And it's got like the title in Japanese below. And it looks really cool. So the blurb, um, there are some who say that this book should not exist. That the fantastical flights of fancy contained herein are too much for the human brain to comprehend. That to gaze upon these weird worlds would wreck the fragile human constitution as it tries and fails to comprehend these surreal adventures. For these tales of suspense are enough to cause hearts to race, minds to melt and sceptics to wonder. Are you prepared to step into the strange? To face the bizarre? To meet the monsters beyond your wildest imaginations? I sure hope so, true believer. For you are about to embark on a journey into unknown worlds. Yes. So the first of the two stories in here that I want to talk about is um, it's the Cullen Bun story. And it is called uh, Bones of the Earth. Now, um, so that like the full credits for this one. It is written by Cullen Bun and uh, artist is Guillermo Sana. And I think Lee, Lo Lee Luffridge colours this one and the other story because we only got one colourist mentioned uh, and it seems to be kind of below both sets of credits. So that's Lee Luffridge. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it looks that way when the way the credits are laid out in the book. Um, and uh, we've got uh, VC's Travis Lanham as the letterer. And I believe he letters both comics as well. Both stories. So in this first story, it's um, like I, I absolutely loved how this played out and I don't want to talk too much about the plot because, like, it's very difficult to talk about the plot to this one without spoiling it. But um, there's been an event of some kind and we join a group of people in hazmat suits searching for a previous team that have been to the area. And uh, at the same time, they're also taking readings to try and figure out what happened and what this event even is. Because all everyone knows is that something's happened. They just don't know what. Um, and there's some really cool ideas in this story and um the art in there is absolutely fantastic uh there's some really fantastic depictions of contortion and pain on people's faces and the way that bodies twist and things in this story like when x happens is really cool um and it's good classic feeling pulpy sci-fi short horror story and it's got the you know it's got it's got the twist even though it's only a very short story it's got the essential twist it's got everything that you would expect from that type of story as as an homage to the these these tales of old 
these comics of old it does it does really well for that um and it was my favorite of the two now the second tale is um this is called chrysalis and this was uh clay mcleod chapman and francesca uh, francesco manor uh, Clay McLeod Chapman writer Francesco Manna is the artist um, and this one was kind of cool um, it has some interesting monster designs and an interesting underlying commentary on toxic masculinity um, it's this one is like weird sci-fi horror with a comedic edge so the first one was just like sci-fi horror with a twist this is weird sci-fi horror with a comedic edge and also a twist and kind of leans into uh, the weird bit a little more than the first one does uh, and again, it feels very much like a, a good classic short sci-fi tale. Um, the book as a whole serves as a really cool celebration. And it's a shame it's only a one shot as, you know, it's the same for the second one I'm about to talk about after this, actually, because I, you know, like, I would really love if this would come back and they would get like, a you know, like a regular, even if it's just like uh, every two months or something, like, version of it with two stories in by an art you know like different artist writer teams because i think I, I would love an anthology like this i think it would be really cool um so the second one that i'm going to talk about that i picked up uh in this ace comicals impromptu fright fest double feature this one is crypto shadows number one and this one uh i liked this one i mean i loved them both but i like this one better than journey into unknown worlds actually um, so I will just get you the blurb and credits for this one. Now for this one, I picked up a variant cover again, and it's a variant cover that makes it look a lot like a classic horror comic. So it's like one of those classic, um, I would say, uh, 1970s Marvel horror books, um, which is kind of like, because uh, Crypt of Shadows is a classic horror, a classic Marvel horror book. But this is like, they've made it look like that with this cover. This 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 variant cover is like very of that style, very of that time which I really like. Uh, it's got a guy um, with like a, a you know, speech bubble. Oh no, let go of me. And there's some dogs kind of like chasing him out of a crypt. And there's a, a shadow of a woman kind of like gesturing, like enter the crypt kind of thing. And these dogs are like chasing him and they're looking very pretty, like pretty angry, like red eyes, like big teeth, like trying to drag him back into the crypt. And he looks terrified and it's fantastic. Um, there's also like the the creepy Crypt of Shadows font, uh, Marvel Comics groups banner across the top, which is like something that you see on old Marvel comics, um, and like even down to like the way they put like the price on it and everything else is great. What nameless evil lurks in the Crypt of Shadows? So um, the blurb for this one: You shouldn't be here. This is a place for the dead, for the damned, for the unholy. You should not be here, and yet you cannot stay away. There is something within this land of buried dead, a power dark and sinister, a knowledge potent and corrupt, that pulls you in deeper, deeper, past the old gate, down the winding passageways, cutting through hills pockmarked with tombstones so old they're barely legible. At the end of the path stands a building, its stone facade cracked and broken by time. What is that name carved above this haunting mausoleum's heavy metal door? Why, it is yours, dear reader. The undeniable gravitation of the inky darkness pulls you in. You should not be here, and now you cannot leave the Crypt of Shadows. So, uh, as you can probably tell, I got quite excited about this. Um, So, 
it's like a it, this is a really well polished nod to pre-code and 70s horror comics um this book is very psychological rather than supernatural and it is a damn good story to read in the dead of night in dead silence with nothing but a desk lamp it is that kind of story. Um, and I knew this was going to be something special when I saw a tweet by the colorist. Um, and I will read through the full list of credits for this now. So uh, full list of credits on this book. We have uh, writer Al Ewing. Um, for the first part of the story, Cynophobia, we have Gary Brown as the artist. Um, second part of the story, Grave Errors. Uh, Stephen Green is the artist. And then third part of the story, A Moment of Madness, uh, it's um, Jabril Morissette Fan is the artist. And I hope I've said your name correctly. If I've not, I am very sorry. Uh, colorist for the book is Chris O'Halloran and VC's Travis Lanham is our letterer. So Chris O'Halloran's the guy from Ice Cream Man. He's the colorist from Ice Cream Man. That's, that's how we know him on Ace Comicals. And uh, we follow him on Twitter. And uh, he tweeted out the first page of this book, which is a... Like, I loved the way this page worked it's like the opening page of the book and uh, the words on the page are xenophobia fear of dogs and it's a nine panel grid with vicious snarling dogs in angry dark red hues snarling all across the page lettered across the page in borders in each row um like top and bottom of panels like in rows across and then it's like these dogs have like these burning bre- uh, bright yellow eyes and at the center we've just got a woman speaking the words in ordinary daylight and our eyes are drawn to the center almost like we're being addressed directly as sufferers of xenophobia and like our fear and thoughts are creating kind of tunnel vision around the world in front of us and it's always there on like the feeling that if you're if you're scared of something if you're that petrified of something if you have like such an irrational fear that it's always there on the periphery and i think that's what this page does well because it focuses you into the center and puts this ring of dogs on the on the periphery and it's like you're almost always able to see it and almost able to experience the fear because they're there around the edge and and that was me gone that was like hook line and sinker with the growls on the page and you could always you you know you could you could pretty much hear it happening and that that was me done as soon as i saw that tweet that was me done it was like insta buyers like i love that got onto facebook and uh i messaged my lcs and was like can you save me a coffee please thank you um so the book is divided into three sections. It's one story divided into three sections, which I've just mentioned. Um, the it's uh, the three sections of the story are I'll read them again. Actually, cynophobia, uh, grave errors, and a moment of madness. The artwork is stellar throughout, and the writing is like pretty perfect. It's like jigsaw pieces of this grim painting just sort of like slowly fall into place, and the narration and the overall feel of the book, like. I think they definitely nailed it as an homage to old horror comics. Like uh, I've, um, I think I've mentioned before on this, um, on this cast that I've made it a thing of mine to go back and read old horror comics where I've been doing it because I'm, I'm interested in those stories. Um, and I've got like, uh, I, I picked up a few old horror comics and I've been going back through them and reading them like some collections and things. And I, you know, I'm impressed at how well this kind of like, celebrates that um there are some fantastic moments in this book and i think it builds tension really well it's an a star horror story and i don't want to talk too much about what happens in there because i will spoil it but that first page is an indication of the quality of the entire book i'd say 
So yeah, um, go out and buy that. And the other one, Ray, you should read both of them. They, but you've sold me on both of those because of how passionately you you talked about them. So yeah, yeah, they are they are both absolutely great and worth your time, one hundred percent. Um, so from there, this is something else that's something old that's been made new. This is something we all read, isn't it? This is uh, the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer number one, uh, published by Boom Comics. Um, now, this is like a reimagining of Buffy for the modern age. And I just want to open this up by saying that it's like aside from the characters and aside from the, I mean, almost the way things play out, but almost not the way things play out. Um, Like, aside from... I mean, I don't even know if I, 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 the events aren't the same, but similar things happen. And it's nothing like, apart from that, it's kind of like nothing like the old Buffy TV show. And for me, this is a good thing. I don't know what you guys think, because I feel like, especially season one has aged terribly. When I rewatched the first episode this weekend, I was like, wow. I don't know. I don't know whether you two agree with me on this, because you both read this as well, right? read it but i think of the three of us leon is the biggest fan of buffy and has the biggest knowledge of that because i i certainly didn't i i grew up liking buffy and knowing it but like i think like so many things that i've talked about in the past i got it in pieces never really got to watch any of the seasons fully through so leon i think you should jump in on this first and then we'll i'll give my perspective well yeah i'd say that the book is um does an interesting thing because I thought maybe it was going to be like new characters or um, be like a, like a, a more stark uh, re reimagining of the series. But what it seems like is um, a reboot in the classic sense, where you're sticking with the location, characters, and the um, the sort of story and the world, but um, uh, as Greg said, it, it, it seems to be set now. There's smartphones, and I assume there's going to be references to, to modern things. But they, they've changed the dynamics of a few things uh, in quite an interesting way. Because, like, um, as I alluded to, I'm quite a big fan of the uh, the 97 Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series. It was created by uh, Josh Whedon. Um, like, I think... Over the course of that show, I think it's quite an important show um, in in several ways. I think it was really instrumental in sort of ushering in a sort of genre, a lot, sort of a like serial based genre show uh, with like a uh, not just a, a female lead, but also like. Uh, like set in a school, and I think what it managed to do over its seasons was really um, groundbreaking in some ways, uh, in terms of story, in, st- in terms of season structure, in terms of uh, just the way certain things played out. And I think a lot of that has had a big influence on things that have come after it. I think a lot of shows. Um, of all different types, were inspired by 
uh, Whedon and Co.'s um, take on on that particular formula. And um, yeah, I think what this show does, or the, the the new book does is that it it sort of recasts things in in a, in a intriguing way. I'm interested to see where it goes because um, I mean in, during the course of this first issue it sets up some of the normal uh stakes uh, no pun intended um <laughs> where uh it's set in the school buffy's sort of like an outsider whose uh, dad is from la uh and she has giles her watcher and uh, in the, the watchers if if anybody doesn't know the thing the watchers are like um Basically, guidance, um, and as said in the book, like a coach for each slayer. And there's one slayer on each generation. The the fight demons and vampires, and um, it seems to be set quite early in her training. So it does feel like sort of early, like season one territory. But what it does here it sort of changes the relationship bet- that she has between her main friends, uh, Sander and uh, Willow, but also her interaction with the world at whole. They introduced uh, they introduced uh, a character who appears quite later in the show into this first issue, which is um, a very interesting wrinkle. And there's a location which is used in the in the later seasons, which is 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 brought to this first issue. So it's kind of like a remix. And I think part of the question is why not just use all new characters? Blah 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 blah. Um, and then. Uh, another counter question is why not recast these characters? At this point, it's uh, become its own like universe, the Buffyverse, blah blah yeah. blah, yeah. and it's become its own thing. So it kind of stands by itself. Where yeah, we're super aware that Sarah Michelle Gellar um, played the character, but I think in ways it's kind of not, uh, connect. She's connected to the character in terms of likeness. Mm. In the sense that you can't just draw Han Solo not looking like Harrison Ford. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not really books or books or stories are not really held down by it having to be Harrison Ford. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Instead, it's like he's created this character. Him and the writers and everybody's created this character and it's lived on. And it's kind of interesting seeing a Buffy, especially because at the moment. Um, a reboot where they change up the characters is in the works at 20th Century Fox. Yes, probably that was uh, later in the year. SDCC last year, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see how that will be, and I'm happy that that is not uh, one of these, say, like Gilmore Girls or Twin Peaks things where everybody comes back. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that it is sort of a fresh, uh, rim, uh, like fresh take on it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's cool that we've got this comic which has um, these characters as they are, because they, uh, again, like with the Riverdale book, um, these characters look like the actors who played them for the most part. Yeah. And I think that's uh, it's actually quite cool because it, it sort of transcend the uh, the actors and become the characters themselves. So, I, I, um, yeah, it, I think what it does effectively is that it doesn't get, at least at this point, too bogged down in the Weddon-esque or mutant enemy style of um, dialogue, mm. which um, I'm as me, I, I'm always a fan of unrealistic dialogue. 
a lot of my favourite films and TV shows uh, have unrealistic dialogue where everybody um, sort of speaks in a belaboured, uh, snarky, cool way that people don't really speak. I, I love that. I know some people absolutely hate it, but I love that. And there's shades of that here, but it yeah. doesn't it doesn't go go nuts at that. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't lean on that too yeah. much. Instead, yeah. it it. Uh, it, it lays it down as like character building. So I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see where they go further um, than uh, uh, going forward. Um, and like I can understand, um, I think it, it, it very possibly will be a stronger start because like Buffy Vampire Slayer is one of my favorite uh, TV shows of all time. Um, and it's, I think it's one of the first TV shows where it got me into uh, being interested in the craft of storytelling um, on TV in that manner. Um, and like big serial storytelling, season by season, uh, having a big bad, having different things happen and how to lay out. And it was the first big one that uh, I got into and, and, and it like sort of uh, in, inspired a, a curiosity yeah. into how TV is constructed. It's... Uh, first, sorry, I was going to say, it's the first one I remember actually as well, where people would talk about it at school season by season because obviously it was one of those things where like at the age i was when it came out people could watch buffy but they probably weren't allowed to watch things like x files and stuff so it was it kind of had like that this is like people would talk about it at school season by season and would be like oh in season this x happens in season this x happens or whatever you know and it would be like that kind of thing where it's like my first yeah. experience with that kind of tv show yeah and like um uh, i've always felt that the first season was the weakest um, and I think in part because I think it was finding its uh, footing uh, deciding what show it wanted to be but also um, it was a mid-season replacement um, and in like a shorter season than the rest of them yeah. but there's a lot of things where it, it feels the most 90s hokey of um, of them all, yeah. but like um, I feel like as soon as they hit season two, yeah, the show sort of hit hit its stride, and there's some um, yeah. even early on some really smart, uh, cool episodes. I think I think that's what hit me when I went back and watched episode one because I went back expecting cheese, but I wasn't expecting Stilton. Mm. Like <laughs> this, this was some pretty some pretty stinky Stilton, but I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was still fun, but I. I wouldn't, I, well, I'm telling you guys now, I'm telling the world because I'm recording on a car I probably wouldn't want to tell anyone I went back and rewatched it. <laughs> no, yeah, it was, it was all right. But, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Leon, I'm pretty sure Leon was just reading my notes, to be honest. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I love how they use the likenesses of the original actors and character designs in this book. I mean, I don't need to read, I don't think I need to tell you what happens in this book because, like, you all know what Buffy the Vampire Slayer is. I'm pretty sure everyone, everyone who is, like, kind of comics adjacent or whatever or, you know, anyone who's ever, like, most people, like, Buffy is just, is just, like, known pop culture now. Like, a lot of people just know what Buffy the Vampire Slayer is because it's one of those things that was that out, that every, it was that kind of everywhere that everyone kind of knew. And... It's just something that I think everyone has at least seen the title before, you know, if if nothing else, um, or heard the title theme before. Uh, 
it, it's just you know i think it was on it was on terrestrial for a while wasn't it yeah was on bbc2 cha- two. BBC two, yeah i was thinking channel four but yeah bbc2 and it's like um yeah i love how they, they use the likeness of the original actors and the character designs of the book and it's just enough taken from the original cast members to put that kind of edge on it like leon was saying in the same way we see with uh, blossoms triple six it works and it looks great i love this new updated version of buffy and it builds on the messages of the original and it just feels clearer and a bit more proud of those messages than the original did for me and buffy feels more badass in these pages than she does on the tv show in the bits that i've seen like the bits i guess that i've been back and rewatched, like memory wise yeah i guess as well there's like uh over two decades of um like uh, visual storytelling, but also uh, a cultural shift in how we're able to uh, about what we can do now uh, off the bat. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of things that a lot of good TV shows at the time, uh, even with good intentions, sort of had to tread water on a lot, or yeah. like the the people who were making them. Yeah, weren't uh, weren't in the place to to even consider doing a lot of things, and I think yeah. a benefit of doing this story now is that where things ended up in the show, um, where for better or worse, um, I think the show was quite early on very good at normalizing um, like uh, a, a, a queer character, queer characters, but also like a queer relationship that isn't like. Um, a focal point because of its queerness. Mm. Uh, and I think that while revolutionary at the time, that's not revolutionary now, but what is better now is that it would just be a representational thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas like, uh, it, it's not, it wasn't a statement in the show back then, but now yeah. it would be a sort of lesser statement and more about uh, even more so just normalizing yeah. what, what, what the world looks like yeah um and i think that that was one of the vectors where uh like the show buffy was pretty decent with as it got there in season four onwards whereas i think another vector that buffy wasn't good at that i'd I'd like to see probably attempted and done better in the comic was like race i think like there's there's a handful of uh like non-white characters and they just weren't written particularly well or their storylines weren't that great. And that was very much, you could feel like it being a blind spot of the people involved. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, the creators have even admitted that, I mean, uh, Whedon himself has, um, himself has. But I think that now we're in a position where our teen fantasy or even our teen shows, this stuff is old hat now. Mm. Um, so it, it bodes well for the types of things they can explore in the book that would have been a kind of, oh, we got a nudge to the edge or we got to speak yeah. an allegory about this particular, about this thing. And now they, yeah. they can save the allegory for, for, for more dense issues and for things like this. It, it is just, um, it is, it just is, it, it's a different color in the canvas. It's a, it's, it's just, uh, a different factor of yeah. of uh, of a different person so it's just part of the greater picture as it should be yeah so i think there's yeah. a lot of potential to do some interesting things in this show and yeah. there's a lot of um, like in the seasons that come 
um, the show did a lot of really smart and interesting things, and it'd be cool to see those remixed and also um, like evolved upon. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of potential in what the what the what the book can do. Mm. And as you'd probably expect from a comic of this type and a story of this type, um, like the story and the pacing is great. There's some deftly handled action sequences in this comic and they just flow and leap off the page. The art has this like impression of fantastic and unique awareness that it is indeed a comic about characters immortalized by a TV show, if that makes sense. So it's like this this like fantastic unique awareness that this book has that it is it is a comic of an old TV show. Like it like it you know like New Game like New Game Plus. Like hmm. Buffy New Game Plus. Do you think that does that make sense to you? Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. And like you can you can just you can already see sort of the um just in, in terms of panel construction. Yeah. Uh you can already see how this is a uh sort of late twenty teens uh book contrasted yeah. with like even the Buffy season eight um comics of like fifteen years ago or so. Mm. Just yeah. some panels here where they're very cinematic um and the uh, the different um, panels are uh, moved by in a more sort uh, like modern style, uh, yeah. where the um, the passing of information is a lot clearer, but also a lot um, a lot zippier, yeah. and um, even more it. so. The uh, there's there's a lot of intent mm. in, in the construction of, of of different different panels. Yeah, and it has a sense of humor as well. I mean, it always did. Yeah, but like this, like it that comes through really well in the way the art in the artwork in this book. Like the art has mm. a sense of humor. It's it's like it's got this clean and cartoon edge, like overall to all of it. And I, I guess if, the the main point that I wanted to I want people to take away from this is even if you're not familiar with Buffy. It's great because it's like it feels fresh. It's a good introduction. It's a great invite into the world. It's a really good ground floor point for anyone that likes action horror or supernatural stories. It's like it's just a way in, and you know, it's just like a a, a new fresh ground floor for which I, I what I think is actually a really cool story. Um, and 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 like I was saying, the TV show is quite kind of dated. So yeah, well. I think I'm going to have to put a footprint into the cement you've just laid down because yeah. I think I'm a bit more or quite a lot more lukewarm on this book than you guys seem to be. Yeah. Definitely don't hate it, but like I think your New Game Plus um, analogy is kind of apt because the whole the whole thing about New Game Plus is you have to have gone through it all before for the New Game Plus to have meant anything. And I haven't gone through Buffy all before. I think I know the I know the I know the broad strokes. I know how important it was in the grand context of television i think buffy is one of those shows where i i learned about it more than i experienced it so i learned about it secondhand through my friends talking about it or you know from um learning how influential it was on talking about you know certain gender politics for example and all the things that you and leon have just discussed but for me coming into it essentially fresh i feel like i'm missing out on the i feel like there's an inside joke happening in this comic that i'm not attuned to because i'm not picking up on the references or i'm not picking up on how it's a mirror to the old buffy 
and therefore it's yeah. it's coming across as lesser to me so like there's little things like how leon was saying um like it, it edges towards that it what could be annoying dialogue but it never really was because you're enjoying it in the original show i think for me listening to somebody like xander's dialogue who i know who xander is as a character i know him almost inside out based on like the spoken wikipedia version of who that guy is as opposed to having listened to you know 500 hours of his character i find his dialogue in this comic to be quite irritating um because i think i'm I'm seeing like a 2D flattened version of who he's supposed to be because yeah. I've been semi-influenced by the TV show and not fully influenced by it the way you guys have. And it's... Um, but yeah, I'd also back that point up from a, from a different angle. Mm. So for me, um, Xander was my least favourite. Um, I mean... I... Early on in the show, I wasn't even a fan of the character in the OG show to begin with. Well, I was going to say, I I think he's meant to be kind of irritating anyway. At least, at least definitely yeah. at the start of the show, right? But yeah, but like my point is, um, he his dialogue for me. So for you, it, it comes off as like grating, where uh, whereas you don't have the original basis. Whereas with me, who has the original basis, he comes off the most uncanny valley, where it's like. Mm. It's meant to be Xander, but it, it's it's too much a weird parody. Or it's Zander, like a, Xander yeah. Volume Eleven. It's not I even think. Volume Eleven. It's where it's like a, a copy of Xander. Yeah, uh, it's, it's the opposite of what we were you were talking about with Blossom Six Six Six, where that feels like larger than life, and it feels like a a, a fun and like thoughtful caricature of the real life actors. Whereas I think this is, as you say, the parody of the character that's existing and it doesn't quite know how to handle the weight of that history maybe yeah. i don't know i don't know if i if i if i would go that far um, but but i i mean i en- i enjoyed it for what it was and i i'm i'm like somewhere between you and leon ray as far as buffy mm. experience goes like i'm like less than leon but probably slightly more than you right um somewhere in the middle but like you know, it's just I didn't I didn't have that kind of problem with it to be honest. I, I thought I I I I didn't I didn't his his dialogue didn't bother me because I was just like oh that's just Sander isn't it? It's just what he is. Okay, so that that's one minor like relatively yeah. minor point. Like if yeah. if I get onto the artwork and how they how it matches the likenesses of the actors mm. who played them in the show to begin with, I think that also removes me a step from the the book because I want to. I want to fall into this with fresh eyes and it's not allowing me to do that because all I can see is like Alison Hannigan play yeah. and Sarah Michelle Gellar in the background, yeah. which isn't inherently a bad thing. It's just, it's not working for me. And I wonder yeah. if part of this is just my, my personal reaction to hearing how much you guys, especially Leon appreciates it. And I'm just not getting it. And I feel like I'm on the outside of it. And maybe that's me pushing back against it. Is this, this Buffy as a whole, you mean? Uh, no, specifically this comic book, I think, because what this makes me want to do is go back and watch Buffy, really. And oh, then yeah. the thing, but the reason I'm torn is because of all the things you've, you guys have just said about how it can rework on some of the, like the things that it did really well and was like progressive for the time and the things that it didn't do so well and has the opportunity to do better now in a fresh, you know, revamp, revitalized setting. And that's the reason I think I'd keep going on with this comic because I want to see what it does with that. But yeah, as an issue one, it didn't it didn't super grab me. I, I would say from my point of view, because like 
I think the way it tallies up with how we've been speaking about it is that Greg prefers this to the TV show. Mm. Um, I think this has got potential to remix things in a 2019 way. Um, and, um, and you're sort of, um, not on, not on either, uh, train yet with like, uh, potential to see that what it could do. And I think that's the thing with this book. I think, um, there's a lot of potential in it and I'm pleasantly surprised at how not a train wreck it is. Whereas I think it's super gear working for, for Greg because like that there's, there's things in here where I can totally see that. um, I can totally see the ellipses uh where where they're not stark there is definitely a, ellipses of like yeah this is a, a recasting of this thing but as you said like you're not in on the joke and there are some connections between the characters and story where they are sort of skipping over because they as you like find out later on when you read like the, the editorial staff talking about how much they love the book they're all fans mm. and i think part of that has worked where they've done Oh, yeah. here's a remix of that song you like instead of like um here's a cover version of that song you like by this new band yeah so see, yeah yeah i mean the way i, I view th- it is the fact that it's like it's it's not the it's like it's like it's a a, a, new, a retelling of that story but it's aware of where it comes from and it's very aware of where it comes from and rather than being put off by that i'm, I'm kind of kind of like i kind of into that i kind of like that i think put off is a bit strong um so let yeah. me let me like let me renormalize what i'm trying to say here because yeah. i think the remix 2019 thing that you're saying leon that's what i'm hoping for but i will wait until you confirm whether it achieves that or not to actually fully dive into this book yeah but i'm not it's certainly not something that i'm i'm saying isn't worth anybody's time or even anybody who's in my positions kind of time i'm just i it hasn't grabbed me and I'm willing to hear back from more informed voices to say whether this is worth it or not. I'm not going to be able to make that consideration for myself or in the meantime, uh, before, you know, um, issues two, three, four, five come out, maybe I'll catch up on original TV Buffy because I've always wanted to and kind of revitalize that for me. Yeah. So it's a good bit of escapism for me anyway. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) I am never going to argue about you watching (laughs) One of the best shows ever made. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. That episode I watched on Sunday. I can still taste it. I think but it's yeah. unanimously agreed upon that season one is pretty crap yeah, compared yeah. to the rest of it. And it only gets better, right? Like, yeah. As far as I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, the thing is, there's st- stuff that happens that is part of, like, TV pop culture now that yeah. that show did before anyone else. And, like, mm. one of the wildest thing this show does like the level of genius this show is like in in one of its weaker seasons by my metric season seven uh, a season where the main creator and showrunner is busy doing um firefly um and he has angel on the go as well um at at the same time they managed to do the much talked about once more feeling musical episode (laughs) but it isn't just this side let's sing some songs blah blah and, and the story stalls in the background like it's so instrumental into every single character's uh, like character progression, 
the main arc of the season, uh, what's happened before, um, the way it ends is like it completely changes how every character relates to each other from that episode onwards. Like, they just did that. They just dropped that. They just Mm. dropped that. Like, a musical episode that is integral to the show. Like, Riverdale pulls those kind of shenanigans twice a season. You say that, you say that though, but yeah. the Riverdale musical episode is just them dancing around singing songs. It's fun. I love to see all, all my favorite characters do all the silly stuff, but it's not the same. The yeah. thematic um, connections uh, are just not not the same at all. Yeah. And like um, many other show has done a musical episode uh, since then to uh, varying degrees of success, but most of the time it is this sideshow thing where it's like. Uh, let's let's sing some songs to get the themes out of what we're talking about the, the, um, this episode. And in Riverdale's case, it was kind of like covers of um, that particular musical to sort of kind of talk about how they're feeling at the same time. And it was fun mm. enough, but I I, I cannot uh, underestimate, or I kind of I cannot uh, like lower lower down how smart that show is and i know it's like the most talked about episode of the show and everyone and their mum's spoken about it and blah blah and it's mega old hat now it's such so old but when you get there watching the show you will still be sort of knocked back at how capital g genius it is i i i don't think it can be overstated yeah yeah i i think i think i've we've gone over this before but like that's the reason i have like the the wikipedia you know um yeah, like video game guide version of knowing this show intimately because I haven't I haven't lived through it, but I've I've read the articles. You know, like I know exactly yeah. why it's so instrumental, and that's yeah. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm, I want to see I want to see those moments yeah. transported into a new context in this comic. And again, I'm going to wait for somebody yeah. else to tell me that it is all there, and I'll catch up on it. I didn't I didn't expect this comic to be such a such a point of conversation for us guys, but there we go. <laughs> it has been yeah. Um, oh, well, I I can see how because I yeah. think it touches with a lot of um, things happening now. Mm. Where we're in a culture where, uh, in a pop culture where our sort of childhoods and, and teens yeah. are being repackaged and sold to us as whole in various different machinations. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of headbutting with, with that and, and whether it, uh, we're getting cash grabbed through nostalgia or whether these things are actually truly transformative and, by be, by being uh, transported to to now, if they've got something meaningful to say, yeah. Mm. See, I don't I don't think this is just repackaging and selling back to us because I feel like this is trying to bring new fans on board. That was the other point I was going to make. Um, like because the comic itself is called "Welcome Back to Hellmouth," but "Welcome mm. Back to the Hellmouth" mm. is the title of this comic. But the first episode of Buffy is just called "Welcome to the Hellmouth," and they could have just gone with the title for the first episode, as far as I'm concerned because of how the comic functions and the fact that it has something for old fans, but has a lot to give to new fans as well, in my opinion. And I think it's a great example of how to keep something fresh and update yeah. something. I, w- I will say, I, I think um, before reading this and still after reading it, I'm still more excited to see what happens with the, the TV show. Mm. Yeah, the TV show sounds really interesting, mm. what they're doing with that. Like when I read little bits and pieces about it, it sounds cool. If I can end on a positive note about the comic, two things. Mm-hmm. There's a reference to Serenity on a TV. That's kind of mm-hmm. cool. I don't and like that. that. I, I kind of like it. That I mean, the universe. No, no, no. It, it like it makes me roll my eyes, but it's that 
of the many things that made me roll my eyes or cringe or whatever, it's one of the things that made me roll my eyes and smile at the same time. And especially with the second one, I'm going to say, where it's Xander going, grr, ar, which is like the, the end title of the TV show. I hate it, but I like it at the same time. Made my eyes roll, but I was smiling at the same time. So those two <laughs> things. Um, yeah, so that was Buffy the Vampire Slayer number one. And I guess we should run through the list of credits. So um, created by Joss Whedon, and I think he's had some kind of oversight over this whole project. Um, written by Jordi Belair, uh, coloured by Raúl Anglo uh, or Angelo, illustrated by Dan Mora, and lettered by Ed Dukesha. So there we go, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, available on Boom Comics. And um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's got something for old fans and new fans. And I think if if you're looking for a, a, you know a, a vampire action story, then this is the comic you would go to because I think it's good. So this brings me on to the last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is because uh, Ghostbusters is 35 years old this year. So I've been going back through reading a lot of Ghostbusters comics, being the massive Ghostbusters fan I am, sitting here talking to you on the podcast wearing Ghostbusters baseball cap. Uh, (laughs) So uh, in the build-up to the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters, which I think is June this year, um, and the uh, GB Comics 35 event, which is due to happen this spring. So, like, they're doing, like, Ghostbusters 35, like, celebration of 35 years of Ghostbusters in the comics. And uh, there's, like, a, a an event coming out this spring that IDW are doing that I, I'm so looking forward to that. Um, and uh, I recently picked up a couple of Omnibuy of the real Ghostbusters comics published by Now Comics back in the late 80s and early 90s. Now... I have vague memories of these comics from being a kid and seeing them at school because like um I don't know if this I don't know if this is something that's universal across all childhoods but like uh when we were at school if it was chucking it down you weren't allowed to go outside um and they would make you sit in the classrooms during break times like lunch lunch break and uh break time morning break or recess as the Americans call it um and uh, you would have to entertain yourself in the classroom and they would have like a stack of like dusty old board games or construction toys or that kind of stuff like locked away in a cupboard for just these events. Like the way people keep tins of food in case the apocalypse happens or Brexit. Um, and uh, it was chucking it down and we couldn't go outside. And I remember there being this like old stack of comics in one of the cupboards in the classroom and they had a couple of real Ghostbusters comics mixed in with this stack um, and it was something that that's like my first experience with them and it was cool having these and being you know I used to, I would sit and read them when we weren't allowed outside um, and like being a huge fan of real Ghostbusters I mean these books were a purchase waiting to happen anyway um, and uh, I finally went ahead and did it earlier this year I was like you know what after Christmas it was I was like I'm just gonna I'm gonna have these because I've wanted them for a while and they're not expensive for the amount of comics I'm getting in there anyway because there's like 28 issues across two volumes and I think I paid something like 35 quid for both which wasn't bad maybe a bit less than that I don't know um and uh yeah they're just they just like the two volumes that I've got collect the entirety of the first volume of comics and that's like 28 issues which is really nice uh, and it is 28 issues of a great fun comic that I feel traps the spirit 
of the real Ghostbusters cartoon exceptionally well. No one's laughing at my pun. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> Traps the spirit. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought I was being well clever. Anyway. Sorry, Greg. Uh- <laughs> you were until you brought it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing now. <laughs> I know that when I said it, Leon like bit into his desk or something because <laughs> it was that bad. But yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I just. Yeah, these these comics are great. They like they capture what the real Ghostbusters was like in a really really great way, and the work that they did with this property at now and the quality of the comics they were putting out was just fantastic, and it shows. And these comics feel like lost episodes of the TV show. I even went as far as running an experiment because I've got the score from the real Ghostbusters cartoon, and I tried to score the comics. So I was sitting there with my MP3 player on at work uh, in my lunch break and I've got the real Ghostbusters score on my phone. And when certain points in the comic came up when I was reading it, I would play certain pieces of music from the score. And I was like, this matches in tone perfectly because I can apply the score from the TV show to it and it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel wrong. It feels great. And that was that was like seriously, that seriously impressed me that I was able to do that with this comic and that it it felt that kind of in tune with like what the real Ghostbusters is because as a, as a, as a cartoon, I feel that it's, it's very unique and it has a very unique formula and it does some very unique things as far as kids shows go. And I, you know, a, a kid's horror show. I, I, I was, I was always impressed with it and I was impressed with these comics big time. Um, it's, yeah, it was a great fan moment for me to be able to successfully score the comic using the original music and like how well the tone matches in terms of writing and characterization. Like Egon, Peter and Ray and Winston are all completely spot on and the humor works brilliantly. Um, my favorite story that I've read so far is Ghost Gangsters. My favorite moment so far is issue one. Uh, it has a great moment with Peter Venkman in a nightmare werewolf high school. And uh, it's just this fantastic page where everyone's transformed into werewolves and um, Pete's there on his own and these werewolves are talking to him and uh, they're like, well, what are you waiting for? Time to change. And he's like, no, I just never went in for that st- that that style. The unisex look never played well on me, like obviously making gags about 80s fashion. And then uh, another, the werewolf teacher's there going, a nonconformist, that's not what high school is for. High school is to crush your spirit strangle your creativity, fill you with self-doubt and turn you into a minus consumer and turn you into minus consumers. And then uh, Pete Venkman's like, wow, this is just like my old school, uh, my old high school, except for all the teeth and claws. Sorry, I've got to run, but I'm late for my exobiology class. And then uh, they start chasing him, trying to make him change. And I really liked that page, especially that four panel sequence of this teacher, like on a rant, this werewolf teacher. I thought that was really cool. Um, And... I, I like specifically enjoyed that that page there because I thought that was brilliant and I would that's the kind of thing that I would have on my wall framed because I liked it and it sort of like basically encapsulates how I felt about school when I was at high school so yeah <laughs> um, I thought that was cool um, and I think these RGB comics are really good and you should probably check them out um, if you want to go back and read some old Ghostbusters comics now um, there's 
very little um like by way of like because i mean these are all uh, list of credits would be huge because obviously like different stories different artists different writers across the whole run um but like i can tell you for my favorite tale so far um the uh Writer is Lamoris Richmond, penciler Evan Dorkin, inkers Ken Stacy and Andrew Pratt, colorist Ken Stacy and Andrew Pratt, letters Andrew letters by Andrew Pratt, and uh, editor Tony Caputo, and that is uh, front front cover artist Ken St- uh, Stacy and Andrew Pratt, and that is the uh, the Ghost Gangsters comic, which uh, the gist of it is um, a news reporter is uh, doing a report like about a historical rivalry between two dead mob bosses um and uh, they're about to open one of the vaults that one of these mob bosses has left behind and uh eventually there is a ghost of gangsters returned to have revenge and uh, the ghostbusters have to clean up the mess and it's a really cool story i like that one and and it left it on a cliffhanger there was like a really good cliffhanger at the end of that one and as far as I can tell, we don't ever get a resolution, which is kind of annoying, but at the same time, it's a really awesome comic, so um, I was really into that one. Uh, and yeah, that is the Now Comics Real Ghostbusters omnibuses that I bought, which are amazing. So, uh, guys, uh, anybody else got anything else they wanted to bring up and mention? Yes. Yep, go ahead. But it's only tangentially related to comic. Go, go for it. See? See how we're reading a Buffy comic yeah. in 2019, the year of our Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've regressed to a teen in some ways because I'm reading a Buffy comic. Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil 2 is out again. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts is, is back in the in the public sphere. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I went and saw a Dragon Ball movie at the cinema. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, that never happened when you were a teen. We were down. No, we were, I wanted we were watching, it to happen. <laughs> we were watching dirty bootlegs of Dragon Ball movies when we were that age. <laughs> uh, what are you saying about Cartoon Network? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I saw the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie at the BFI IMAX, which is a sentence that I've said a few times over this last week and a half, and it still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> But uh, it, it's, it was really cool. I uh, went with my uh, brother. And, yeah, we sat there um, and watched uh, Goku, Vegeta, and all the squad uh, battle out on the big screen. And it was um, it was really cool. Um, for people that don't know, Dragon Ball Z is this thing that you should just Google because it was, I just can't, I can't explain it. But basically, it's, it's, it's a, a shonen manga series that became a long-running anime series. And again, it was another thing that's been revived a few years ago. I think it was 2015. It's a perfect example of, of exponential escalation is what Dragon yes. Ball Z is. Um, and this movie is the first movie of this... Um, uh, not well. It's not the first. It's the third movie of the of the super series, and I think it's the uh, it, it's it's the first one that's done the ridiculous business that it's, it, it's done so far. <laughs> For like three weeks uh, of of this year, it was the second highest grossing movie worldwide. 
Wow. Which wow. makes no sense to me. Damn. <laughs> but, like, uh, yeah. But, but it, it, it's a really fun cultural moment, and um, yeah. it really... I mean, I, I haven't been watching Dragon Ball Super, but I picked up stuff by Osmosis, by Friends Into It, by Memes, um, and by playing the, the game that came out uh, last January. I've watched all of Super. Shaggy is uh, the strongest character. <laughs> um, and uh, that, oh, that's going to be so dated when people listen to this episode <laughs> in two years. But, um, <laughs> uh, like, it, it's funny not keeping up with it but it's still having the core of what i like really um enjoyed and cool it i think the movie is made in a really um uh, knowing way and it's directed by uh tetsuya nagamine and um it's written by akira toriyama who's the, the creator of dragon ball and i, I think it does it does a thing in a really cool way in, in a not in the same way but in a similar sense to the serenity movie which was mentioned before which was the movie of firefly and what that movie did, it was released in the cinema by Universal, and they had to hedge their bets. Uh, well, Josh Whedon, who's writing the script, had to hedge his bets on uh, creating something that wouldn't be tedious to reintroduce everybody for people who had watched the show, but also that would be clear enough to bring on all uh, newcomers. And I think in Serenity, um, he does that um, really ingeniously. And I'm going to put a small uh, a small little addendum here because there's been a lot of Josh Whedon praise, but uh, <laughs> obviously in, 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 in recent, uh, not just in recent years, I mean, for the, the last 20 or so years, um, there's been various things that you can read up on the internet which um, point towards uh, bad decision-making and bad character in some in, in, in certain things. But, in, but relating to his work specifically, um there is, uh, there is, there is, there's like traits of well-meaning but bad, um, bad theming and characterization, which uh, sort of dog throughout his work. And I'm obviously a big fan of his work, but um, all that stuff uh, is there, and it's something um, to to be mindful uh, to be mindful of. Um, but yeah, I think the the Dragon Ball movie, it does a good job of pretty much catching you up <laughs> uh, in a way because um, in some ways it's a prequel to the whole show, like Dragon Ball. It's like a prequel to all of it, which sets up um, what happens later on in the film. And the character Broly, uh, he was a non-canon character who was in... Um, the uh, original movies, which um, it, uh, came out during the, the run of Dragon Ball Z, the anime, yeah, um, and but all the, all those movies were non-canon. They were like, um, or most of them were non-canon, and they were sort of played out. They're kind of like what ifs, or mm. like um, like uh, the the Marvel uh, like um, the Marvel runs of comics of like what if uh, Wolverine versus I don't know. They were kind of one shotty. You could you could place them on a timeline, but they were like one shotty. Like you didn't. Yeah, because they weren't exactly like DC Elseworlds, but they they were more in that Marvel what if style, where it's like, what if uh, Jean Grey killed all the X Men type thing. Um, and... I don't I don't think they were even that extreme as a what if because they just kind of like out of out of timeline stories. Don't... Yeah, they're out of timeline stories, but some of them are ridiculous, like Broly himself, who's just this non character. Mega, mega, mega powerful um, yeah. 
person who we've never ever heard before. And I think what this show does well is bringing him into the canon yeah. um, and giving, giving him some backstory and character. Uh, I think it, it's um, it, I don't know, it's really deft. I think it's it's handled yeah. really well, and it got me up into the show, uh, into the film. And I was I was there. I was on board, and um, it's really fun just being a, in a cinema with uh, other people who have obviously grown up with the show in various different ways, um, and all of us just to enjoy this spectacle of uh, of uh, IMAX. Uh, Dragon Ball, and, and one of the wildest things is so when you go to the BFI IMAX uh, before the movie, uh, one of the uh, members of staff who uh, usually sits in the auditorium uh, to like be there if anyone needs any help or anything, and mostly to probably stop people trying to illegally record, um, they give a little intro at the beginning, and they'll give some like a tiny bit of backstory on the film you're about to watch and. Say, brother, welcome to the thing. It was created by this person in this year, and it's just so weird to have that over this. Me- Not even like Studio uh, Ghibli or something like that, but like <laughs> Dragon Ball. Like, uh, and uh, the 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 member of staff is talking about like created by Akira Toriyama, and blah. blah. So like, what is this? <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> yeah, you kind of expect that kind of uh, pomp and pretentiousness from a Christopher Nolan film, but not necessarily this, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did it ignore the bio Broly stuff? Yeah, yeah, none of that stuff is counted. <laughs> was it? Is it actually seventy mil IMAX? No, so it wasn't. So it wasn't. Um, what happens usually when you see, like, say, you were to go to the cinema and watch Fast and the Furious at the IMAX? So those are optimized for IMAX, where they're. Uh, I'm not going to go into super technical what they do, <laughs> but they basically like uh, blow it up um, and. Uh, fit it into a frame that fills up more of, more of the screen, but it's not the ratio of one. It's not the ratio of something shot or edited in IMAX. But also, secondly, it doesn't have um, it doesn't go by the standards of what would make uh, something IMAX. So it's not true IMAX, and instead, it's not quite LIMAX where it's digital. Um, but it, the best way to to describe it and how they describe it is. Um, is, is optimized to fit the screen. So I saw like Avatar, uh, the uh, James Cameron movie. Uh, I saw that in the IMAX, and, and obviously that's not shot in, in IMAX. But the way it was done, it was optimized in a way that shots fit that square frame more. So when you saw shots of like the Mother Tree, um, I've since watched that film again on Blu-ray. And the shots don't look as spectacular because you're using the normal um, anamorphic, um, uh, like widescreen frame. Mm-hmm. So there are differences uh, made in the presentation, um, and I think that happens from film to film. Um, but yeah, it's not like it's not like they uh, broadcast it out on IMAX um, projectors or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. That would have been ridiculous. I don't think my eyes would have been ready for that. Yeah, because like seventy mil IMAX Dragon Ball would be incredible. Yes, I, I don't even know how you would do that. I, <laughs> I still have yet to see this film. I still need to go and see it, but I'm I'm looking forward to getting round to seeing it. Um, and I think that brings us on to the pull list, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, this is things that are going to be available on the 6th of February and also uh, the 13th of February. So 
these are all things for you to look forward to over the next two weeks so on the release of this episode uh Arkin, i'll open we have uh daredevil number one which is a new daredevil run uh which i mentioned earlier in the show which will have um chip zadarsky's name attached to it which uh, i'm kind of excited for um we also have uh female furies number one which um this is uh big barter and co uh, all their lives, the female Furies have been raised to be the meanest, most cunning, and most ruthless fighting force on all of Apocalypse. So why are Granny Goodness's girls left behind every time the men go to war? With the might of New Genesis hanging over the planet, and the forever people making mincemeat out of Darkseid's army, Granny thinks it's about time that changed. And so Big Barda, Aurelie, Mad Harriet, Lashina, Bernadette, and Stomper set out to beat the boys at their own game. Little do they know the game is rigged and one accidental murder could spell disaster for them all female furies is an exciting new miniseries starring some of jack kirby's coolest fourth world characters uh by the writer of shade the changing girl and the artist of plastic man so uh we've got creators uh cecile castellucci um is the writer and uh, adriana malo is the artist uh we've got a cover by mitch gerrards and a variant cover by uh francesco martina so I figured that one might be something that you guys would like, having read um, Mr. Miracle quite recently. Uh, we also have uh, These Savage Shores, number three, uh, I think comes out on the this week, doesn't it, on the 6th of February, which is something that we reviewed on the previous episode. So go back and check out episode number 54 and uh, give yourself a reason to buy uh, These Savage Shores. Um, on the 13th of February, um, actually, no, you go first, Ray, for the, uh, for the 6th. I'm, I'm skipping. Go ahead. No, it's cool. I only have one for the 6th. It's one of my staples. It's Giant Days, uh, number yes. 47. Daisy gets her driving license. That's, that sounds great. So I'm going to read that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, for the 13th, I've got Detective Comics 998 as we inch ever closer to that thousandth issue. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 91. And Savage Sword of Conan number one, which is another new Conan series. So we've talked about Conan before on uh, previous episodes of Ace Comicals. Or I've talked about Conan and I will continue to talk about Conan because I love Conan. Uh, but this is um, Savage Sword of Conan number one. So it's like another Marvel, uh, another relaunch of another Marvel Conan title, which is something that I'm quite excited about. The ancient cult of Kogathun, a mystical treasure and the only man who can save the Hyborian Age. Adrift at sea, no food, no weapons, death surely awaits him. But the lion-hearted Conan is not so easily subdued by Krom. And when Conan finds himself captured, he, unleashed, he unleashes his, mighty, his might on an unsuspecting pirate crew. One whose dark secrets will plunge Conan on the trail uh, of an ancient treasure that may prove to be his undoing. And it's all new age of Savage Sword of Conan, and it begins with a five-part tale of swords and sorcery by Jerry Duggan of Deadpool and Infinity Wars, illustrated by legendary artist Rob Garney of Daredevil and Thor, God of Thunder, with covers by the incomparable Alec Ross and breathtaking co- variant covers by uh, Garney, Raza, comics legend George Perez, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles co-creator Kevin Eastman. So uh, I'm looking out for that Eastman cover. But yeah. Um, Savage Sword of Conan. In fact, let's see if we've got a picture of the Kevin Eastman one. Yes, there it is. It's in black and white, and it's absolutely gorgeous. 
uh, hyper detailed Conan versus a bunch of um, skeletons in armor with like the rain coming down and some dust and some bits and detritus, all things that Kevin Eastman's very good at. So yeah, Savage Sword of Conan. I'm liking the look of that. Uh, Ray, where are we with you for the 13th of February? Uh, as before, only one, and it's another staple, Ms. Marvel number 38, and it'll be celebrating its fifth year on the shelves, so it should be a good issue. Ooh, indeed. Yes. Yeah, and also the Mr. Miracle trade paperback uh, will be out on the 13th of Feb, I think, um, I hope, so I'll probably pick that up too, because even though I have all of the floppies, it would be nice to have it as a giant leather-bound collected tome, right? <laughs> indeed, yes, get a hardback. Uh, Leon... Uh, anything for you to add to the pull list at all? No, for me, the focus will be on uh, the Mr. Miracle trade. Um, been waiting for it to come out as an excuse to go back and relitigate the show, uh, the show, the um, the the run, and to have a more in-depth talk about it. Maybe uh, a bit of a spoiler section as well. If you guys. Yeah, definitely. That's something with, that uh, I, I've been planning on doing for a while, actually, as well. Go back through all 12 issues and uh, we can kind of like have it out on here mm. in full. Because I think that was one of our favourite things of last year and um, possibly t- 2017 it started, didn't it? So, yeah, it was one of our favourite things. Yeah, it was definitely my favourite of 2017. Yeah, mm. uh, definitely one of my favourite things. Uh, yeah, Tom King can write. So that will close us out. So that has been Ace Comicals episode number 55. You can find us on, uh, well, at www.acecomicals.com. You can find us on iTunes under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. And you can ask us questions, send us silly scenarios to make sense of uh, whatever you want via Twitter DM, or you can email us to uh, acecomicals at gmail.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, spotify stitcher tune in and castro um we're kind of everywhere uh you can find us on instagram under ace comicals you can find us on facebook under ace comicals i've already mentioned that i don't know uh it's a long list of places you can find us um you can find me on facebook under at batter that's b-a-t-t-o-u uh ray where can we find you uh, Facebook, I mean Twitter. Sorry, Twitter under at Bato. Ray, where I'm getting, I'm getting myself in a, in a, in a, like some kind of twister now. Ray, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Munke M O O N K E H. Yes, and Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Yes, so that has been Ace Comicals episode number fifty-five. So Ace Comicals over and out.